Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, listeners. During this episode, I refer to a show and I call it Girl Haji. Of course, the name of the show by Joe Barton is Giri Haji. Uh, my mistake. Apologies for the error. Please enjoy the podcast. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member, support the podcast, get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. I remember seeing them when they were still working. When they were little. The judges. Yeah. They were amazing. And the fucking things just got abandoned. Still out there rotting. Forgotten. Are we all? Who said this season isn't as good as the first one? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. Joining me, as always, Patrick Klepek. How's it going today? I just, David, in the future, if you need to fart on the podcast, just be honest with me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> You know I always am. You know I always am. <laughs> you can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, some of our videos over on the YouTube channel have been getting some traction. If you're just discovering this podcast by mo- mostly from people disagreeing with our terrible opinions. Um, but if you're just, if you're just uh, finding this show off of YouTube, welcome. Uh, but we upload it. We're uploading clips. Uh, uh, my colleague John is doing a great job editing the, the clips and putting them onto YouTube and uh, getting a lot of uh, engagement and, and reactions that way. We YouTube. welcome com- hate listens. We welcome hate <laughs> listens. You don't even have to like us, but you know, mm. listen anyway. It all, it all works out in the one in the end. It's, one of my favorite things is uh, there's a YouTuber I know who says, you know, if you like this video, send if you like this video, send it to someone you love. If you hate this video, send it to someone you hate. You know. <laughs> Um, that's my, that's my feeling about the podcast, but anyway, yeah, we're all across all platforms, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Instagram, and also threads at decoding TV. We're posting new videos there, uh, every single week. So today on the podcast, we got uh, a few pieces of news to discuss Evan, Rachel Woods reaction to the ending of Westworld we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Apple TV and Netflix's upcoming slate, and then some uh, controversial statements that Nick Pizzolatto has made about the latest season of True Detective, aka True Detective Night Country. For our main reviews today, we're going to be covering Mr. and Mrs. Smith episodes one through four, and then also True Detective part four, uh, so t- stay tuned for that. Next week, we'll be covering the next episode of True Detective and the rest of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, so it should be a fun conversation. Lots to get into today. Let's start with the news. This was a really interesting story, Patrick Klepek, because obviously Decoding TV used to be called Decoding Westworld. And uh, so Westworld is a, is a core part of the heritage of this podcast. And, and, uh, and in many ways is is ins- responsible for my journey to you and I uh, getting to know each other and doing things because uh, 
one of the uh, my first encounter with you was not through me knowing you or a colleague or listening to a podcast, but was my wife becoming obsessed with Westworld and downloading your podcast and then Absolutely. being startled when I did become uh, uh, sort of like friendly with you online. It's like, re- like I've met like so many luminaries in the video game mm-hmm. world, sometimes some actors. The mo- One of the most impressed that my wife has ever been was, oh no, David Chen started following me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was, uh, we, we had a chance to hang out this past summer, all of us, uh, me and your family, and mm-hmm. she was, re- she really kept her cool, man. She, 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 she did. She, she did. wasn't, she didn't like fangirl out on me or anything like that, so, <laughs> so good for her. Anyway, uh, there's a headline at the Hollywood Reporter, Evan Rachel Wood still doesn't know Westworld ending after cancellation uh, it keeps me up at night. All right. Now, uh, to talk about the story, I'm going to have to spoil the end of Westworld season four. Uh, so FYI, if you don't want to know the ending of season four, you should skip forward to the next story. We have timestamps in the show notes as usual. Uh, but yeah, uh, season four of Westworld ended on kind of a cliffhanger, you know, I would say. Now, I would argue that it actually was just fine as an ending. Like, you know, yes, it sets up the possibility of future things, but if you ended the show there, which they did, it would have been completely fine. Um, But that is not the line that the creators of the show, nor Evan Rachel Wood, the star of the show, uh, Westworld, have taken, right? They they have said we had more of the story planned, uh, and apparently it was quite specific. So here's what happens at the end, right? Um... Uh, In the season four finale, I'm reading from the Hollywood Reporter story, humanity and most sentient life essentially ends after a season that saw the park android seizing control, flipping the power scales to control humans the way hosts once were. After a series of moves that saw virtually the entire main cast die, uh, Evan Rachel Wood's character Dolores, the original park's oldest continuous host and its first to achieve self-awareness, is left with a chance to give humanity one final shot. A few may escape death for a few months, maybe even years, but ultimately their kind will go extinct, she says in a sweeping finale monologue. They will only live as long as the last creature who remembers them, and that creature is me. The show teased one go around the loop based on Dolores' vision for a new world. Uh, so, end quote. Anyway, that's that's kind of what happens at the end. I mean, uh, that doesn't even... I, I, I did a recap show about the season and even <laughs> I am still trying to figure out what happened at the end of the season. But like, that's why I'm reading directly from this. I don't want to mess up, you know... <laughs> I don't want to mess up what actually happened. Let but someone else make the mistake instead a, of a, me, David Shen. <laughs> absolutely. Like the, uh, And I, I do want to say that I had a lot of problems with Westworld, uh, particularly seasons two and three. But I actually really appreciated season four as a way of them trying to kind of like reboot the entire, like start from scratch, um, you know, reboot the entire thing, try something different. And, uh, and I admire, you know, that boldness. But at the, anyway, at the end of the season, uh, they're theoretically going to restart the whole park again. You see like Teddy again, and it's like, we're going to, we're going to restart the whole thing. I'm going to give humanity a chance to survive. Uh, but we don't see what happens now. My interpretation could be like, Oh, it's, it's remarking. Like it, the show could end right here. Cause it's a remark on the cyclicality of 
certain religion, you know, there's some religions that's like God has created and destroyed the universe multiple times. And it's like, there's like a lot of religious undertones, but there's also like, there's a cyclicality to like technology and human life and whatever. And, and that's a nice place to end it. In, is that like, we're restarting the, we're going back to the park. We're restarting it again. And it's like, oh, all right. That's, if you want to end there, that's completely fine. But according to the story, uh, Evan Rachel Wood tells The Hollywood Reporter that the abruptness of the cancellation was tough for both the cast and the audience due to the nature of how Nolan and Joy reveal a story. She says, quote, it was devastating in a lot of ways because, first of all, they don't tell us where the show's going. We're always just told we know how the show ends when we started. They weren't writing as we went along. They had an idea and we were all just on a bed of nails waiting to see and hear what the conclusion of this was, what it all meant. We didn't get to have that. And so after building an arc and a character for almost 10 years and not getting the payoff at the end to see where it was all going, I think for us in the audience, it was awful in a lot of ways. I asked the creators after we got canceled, can you please just tell me how you're going to end? And they wouldn't tell me. I think because, I don't know, maybe somehow, some way, in some iteration, we'll get to finish it. But I still don't know. It does still keep me up at night, end quote. Uh, Patrick Klepek, what was your initial reaction to this? You watched the first three seasons of Westworld. Like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I I fell off, I think, probably where a lot of people did and would ultimately, like, yes, I am responsible for the cancellation of Westworld <laughs> yes, in a, in a larger, more aggregate sense, which is, yeah, season three did very little for me. And then by the time season four rolled around, it was like, ah, you know, I, you know, again, my, my wife was the one that kind of got us like really into the show uh, and was really deep diving into it. And so like, do you want to watch this? And, she, and when she said no, I was like, all right, I guess, I guess, I guess we're off the train, which is, which is odd because I have a real hang up with not getting closure on media that I watch to a, a d- degree that is irresponsible a waste of time but often when i start a movie or a show i want to finish it like I, there's something about closing that loop for me that is important to the way that i interface with media in many ways my children coming along have saved me to that from some degree because you just run out of time to indulge in your bad habits but why would someone watch all of prison break and the two directed dvd sequel movies that came out later well i gotta see how it ends david i'm sorry but like he's got the tattoos on and he's escaping where's he gonna escape from next but what's interesting about this specifically is i'm i was a little surprised because hbo is one of those places that values their relationships with creatives even when shows kind of go off the rails or are headed towards a more traditional cancellation, and they'll give them some sort of creative out, a shortened season, right, a, a, right. a movie, a, a way of saying like, look, this didn't work out commercially, the money, the numbers don't add up anymore, but we value working with you. And here's a way to bring this plane, you know, to land this plane in a different way if you choose to. And who knows what was offered, what wasn't offered. Certainly the abruptness that Rachel Wood gets into in the piece is was definitely the tone of how the creatives and the actors talked about this cancellation right. when it happened. It wasn't amicably with HBO. We've decided to go our separate Correct. ways. There definitely Correct. felt like there was some bad blood at the end of this. And I do wonder, this came at the same time that uh, who knows how much of this is HBO, how much of this is Max um, and the Warner Brothers of it all. But Westworld, correct me if I'm wrong, was one of those shows that was uh, then transplanted from the sacred catalog of we exist on HBO to what they call fast, right? Like, uh, which are like ad supported 
kind of television networks where you just sort of feed this content machine, ads go around it. um, And Westworld was one of the shows that was brought to that. And maybe there is this idea that, hey, Give it if Westworld is exposed to a large enough audience on different platforms where you're not necessarily paying to get into the mix. Maybe there is an opportunity down the line where there then becomes, and I think actually this will tie into a separate conversation we have about True Detective. Can you build Westworld nostalgia where you could then justify getting the gang back together to finish off that ending? And I right. have to, I have to suppose that's sort of the the, the running theory here um, on on how the only way this show could ever meaningfully come back yes beautifully said as usual uh kind of a long shot patrick lepic kind of a hill mary story i think evan richard wood is just look once that fallout show takes off that show looks pretty good i think it's gonna be a big success just let her know the fucking ending like come on man just like just like (laughs) just put in a tag get on signal end-to-end encryption you know like do what you gotta do but like she clearly seems like there's a lot of distraught in this article. It, it, like, it, it's <laughs> painful. It's painful. I mean, l- let's say if you, first of all, that's one possibility, Patrick, another possibility. I'm just going to throw this out there uh-huh. okay, uh, is they don't know how they're going to end it. So that's why they're not telling it. Right. Like, let's just, let's just acknowledge that as the elephant in the room. Right. <laughs> like that's possible. Uh, okay. Let's start with the fact that Evan Rachel Wood was incredible in Westworld. Yes. Like she was the best part of the show, in my opinion. Uh, the work that she did, particularly in season one, to pretend to be a robot, you know, like, it's it's amazing. The, the blend of CG and acting that made that a convincing uh, trick, a uh, movie trick, you know, mm-hmm. movie magic uh, is just really amazing. Uh, so she deserves all the praise <laughs> and also all the answers that one should get in this situation. I mean, can... <laughs> I cannot imagine working on a story as an actor for 10 years, helping to craft a character for 10 years, putting your heart and soul, your career into something for 10 years. And then your coworker is just like, sorry, I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end. Right. Like <laughs> I, that would drive me really up the wall. Uh, now that said, there is a dramatic function of not telling an actor what happens, right? Like, Often, if you tell an actor, hey, you're going to die in episode seven, right? That that can shape their whole performance for the whole season of uh, they play everything with the kind of funereal dread or, you know, Mm -hmm. anticipation that you might not otherwise have. I understand that. I understand why that's the case. Um, And obviously, in the case of the creators of Westworld, I also understand why they don't want the secrets to get out. But this behavior just seems unforgivable to me I have to say. <laughs> like as you said th- really you're not going to trust Ava- evan rachel would not to divulge the secret of the west world like in the extremely i'm going to say less than one percent chance that this show ever gets to air again yeah uh i, I just think that's uh, cruel i'm just gonna say i think it's cruel and uh Tell Evan Rachel Wood the ending of Westworld. Like, look, just, ha- just hashtag just tell Evan Rachel Wood the ending of Westworld. That's what we're going to have to launch today. They, the they need to settle with reality and know that the only way Westworld's ending is getting told is one of these other sad versions that stories that don't like TV shows or movies that don't get to do their ending and they get a graphic novel to wrap it up. That's where Westworld gets to tell its ending. You can get a graphic novel. It's a, HBO will let you do a graphic novel to tell the yeah. final season. Yeah. And it, once you do that, 
can we please tell, just tell her like it's, I mean, I guess I'm not super shocked given, uh, the creative, like the storytelling that was happening in Westworld season one and two, the relationship that those creators had with places like Reddit and people unpacking, there is a certain mystery box, like early JJ Abrams quality to what was happening in Westworld that I wonder if that is just intrinsically part of these two's creative process and say they sort of draw the line at sharing an ending that might never actually get told uh even with an actor who was central to the success of this of this show you know we're having the mysteries of westworld early on were on its face intriguing but i don't think you need a good salesperson and she was the salesperson like she made that world click along with a lot of other really talented actors but i think for the kind of high stakes, high concept of Westworld to feel so grounded and dramatic for as goofy as a premise as it is, go watch the original film. Uh, like that's her. That's all her. So I think I think yeah, justice for Evan here. Like like let's let's get her the ending. Like what do we have to do? Um, <laughs> Stop Fallout from airing on Prime Video until you know. I mean, this might be her way of doing it. It's just like publicly <laughs> shaming them in the press in the hopes that. Like we didn't realize you like felt that so so strongly about it. Maybe we'll get a follow up whenever she whenever her next uh, film or whatever her next round of press we can we can pound the table on that again. This interview was given to the Hollywood Reporter uh, because she is going to be playing Aubrey. I'm sorry, Audrey in the off Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors. So like that, uh, it wasn't like okay. she went to the Hollywood Reporter and said, I got a bone to pick <laughs> with, a, you know. I got a story to pitch you on. Like. Yeah, yeah. But I think, it's just, you know, they probably asked her like, hey, how did you feel about the show not ending? You know, and she probably uh, gave that quote. Had so, thoughts. Had thoughts. Yeah, she like, had thoughts. Uh, yeah, appreciate so. the honesty. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, hashtag justice for Evan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what is coming up with regards to Netflix and Apple. Netflix and Apple both like announced their slates this week. And I just want to say right off the bat, we will link to these in the show notes. I'm not going to cover everything that was announced because it's like dozens and dozens of things. But what I've done is I've picked out a few highlights uh, and I'm going to read about them to Patrick Klepek. And Patrick Klepek, you will react with yay or nay, uh, you know, just and or any other one word Mm -hmm. or or one sentence descriptors. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear like if you have any specific passion for any of these things. Uh, But before we do that exercise, I thought I would ask, uh, did you have any kind of overall reaction to these slates? You know, I I will say that I was impressed by the breadth and like quantity of Netflix's slate. There is just, they are just releasing a lot of shows covering a huge variety 
of uh, different genres, different topics. Uh, Apple TV much more selective. I don't know if you saw this piece about how like Apple TV is the new HBO. You know, uh, eh, you- I, I I I I don't care for that. I've heard that comparison many times, but I I think there's a quality bar that HBO at its best has hit that I would not ascribe. One hundred percent, one hundred percent agree. Also, also I would argue. Uh, a lot more people talked about the shows on HBO than talk about the Apple TV shows. Th- this is a Wired piece. Apple TV is the new HBO. Max just isn't what it used to be. Apple TV is where you need to go for must-watch prestige television, end quote. Um, so, hey, by the way, uh, I wanted to... Quick follow-up to the Westworld talk, by the way. Mm. So you're right. Uh, Westworld no longer... It was pulled off of Max, you know? So you can't get it on Max. It's, like, now on or other heard, platforms. It, it was pulled entirely. It was... It was it's it's yeah. one thing for it to be a parallel distribution but one of the the important things that was really shocking was the fact that they took it from the library entirely right. to put it up on these places like Tubi and the like especially one of the because sh- it's one of the shows that helped to define HBO as as a network right it's like oh they're making interesting bold expensive stuff like this yeah i will say that the westworld seasons 1 through 4 went on sale on uh on in the iTunes store for $30 and i bought it cuz i was like that's Less than a dollar per hour of Westworld. So it's like uh, well worth it. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I am not convinced that Apple TV Plus is the new HBO. But anyway, uh, what we can say is they are very selective. And there is a vibe to the Apple TV Plus shows, you know, and some of them are actually really good. Um, so anyway, did you have any other reaction to these overall slates, Patrick Klepek? No, it's I'll be so I feel like there's so much we don't know about the future of these services, especially yeah. uh, that we won't know until like what are the slates a year or two from now, just because productions take so long to get into mm-hmm. gear. So much of what we have from Netflix, even Apple TV plus is residual like pre writer strike, you know, like it just feels like there's a big shift happening at the yeah. ground level of how the, the costs production like this like Apple TV announced this slate while at the same time having like yet another sort of like underperforming like movie that costs two hundred million dollars. Like they don't mind spending money, but so did everybody else. And then the question is just does Apple T is Apple buck that because they have an iPhone that just fuels any of their creative endeavors and they're they're fine with that. But at, and at some point you expect some of that to slip up because I would describe Apple uh, TV as more it's not must watch prestige TV. But it is prestige TV. They are definitely continuing down the spending money on the screen, like long, indulgent. There's a reason there's a lot of like sci-fi, which is a lot of visual effects. It's um, whereas Netflix, like Netflix seems very confident. Like that, that is the thing mm-hmm. that this company mm-hmm. has exuded as so much chaos has reigned in the last like eight, essentially starting with Netflix cascading sort of a, a, a cracks in the in the streaming model in which their perpetual growth, like the the, the uh, Wall Street asking uh, for like actual numbers and subscribers. Netflix just seems confident. Like it seems like a good slate. Like I, I, they just seem like if anyone's going to come out on the other side of this, just fine. Like clearly it is going to be Netflix and then everyone else is just sort of scrounging about to be number two or number three. And what what it means to be number two or number three, I think is something that remains to be seen. I agree completely with everything you said. I think it's an open question of how many Argyles uh, Apple TV can absorb before they're like, "Hey, let's just pack this in. We don't need to. Uh, we don't need to keep spending money on this. Let's put all that money on the Vision Pro instead." Uh, <laughs> well, it's really right. for like a Killers of the Flower Moon, right? Where it's like 
it's it's a, a patent like Oscar. You, play, you mean right? a good movie? Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, good... it's one thing if they make good movies instead look, of terrible ones. Look, if <laughs> trillion dollar companies are going to be cynically spending too like money on art to establish footprints in places they haven't been before, I I I I'd prefer they give it to like incredible artists to waste yes, their money. Abso- absolutely. Um, and I don't know. How that... dare you slander the name of Matthew Vaughn on this podcast? He made one okay X-Men movie, and we've been dealing with the consequences ever since. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, let's talk about Apple TV's work first, because it's a, it's a little bit of a shorter list. Um, they're just literally making fewer programs. Uh, the you know One thing that I think we're both excited by, Constellation. That's coming out in the yeah, next couple, couple weeks. weeks. Yep. Uh, it's by uh, Peter Harness, who is an English playwright who's made... Uh, Shows like City of Vice and Case Histories, but it's also directed by Michelle McLaren, enormously talented director who has made uh, episodes of TV shows like Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. So I think Patrick and I are both excited about that. You'll pretty much definitely hear coverage of that show on Decoding TV. So uh, that's a good one that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Dark Matter, a nine episode sci fi thriller series created by Blake Crouch. The creator of Wayward Pines. This one stars Joel Edgerton, Jennifer Connelly, and Alice Braga. What do you think, Patrick Lepic? Yeah, uh, has this been adapted previously in some fashion? I thought I had read something about that. I didn't have a chance to follow. Yeah, it's, right a before sci- we... it's based off of one of quote unquote one of the best sci-fi novels of the decade. And, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I've I've remarked to this to you, and I'm sure I mentioned it on the show a couple of times. Like, you know, you can't always tell like the preferences of executives based on what they order but like uh-huh. there is somebody at <laughs> apple that like someone's raising their hand and going i think we got a lot of sci-fi on the slate i think we need to diversify and that person is told to put their hand down because <laughs> if you pitch high concept sci-fi to apple like they are just red re- budget does not matter like it they're red and i I'm, I'm here for it even though a lot of it hasn't worked for me. Foundation didn't really work for me, although I didn't make it to the second season. Uh, like Alien Invasion, like is my thing. Like Independence Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. That the TV show Invasion they did is not very good. Um, but uh, I like that they just keep stepping up to the plate. And so Constellation, Dark Matter, Dark Matter seems a little more grounded and serious. Yeah. Uh, it's about the, a guy who gets sucked into an alternate version of his life is, yes. is what, what it is. So which sounds cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the actors involved uh, have, have me interested for sure. All right. Uh, Franklin. This is a limited series about Benjamin Franklin starring Michael Douglas as Benjamin Franklin. Uh, this is uh, directed by Tim Van Patten, I believe, who is a legendary uh, director who has made episodes of The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire. I think it's uh, it's created by somebody who worked on Boardwalk Empire as well. You looking forward to Franklin, Patrick Klepek? I like I like Michael Douglas. Uh, I, I, I don't. know. I feel like I've had my 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 fill of historical epics. So it's this is one of those wait to see on is this just people want to dance uh, dress up in fancy clothes or does this actually have anything to say about? the moment that 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 i think i'm I'm kind of waiting to see where that mm-hmm. lands fair fair by the way i should point out dark matter is wednesday may 8th franklin coming out friday april 12th so we'll try to m- mention release dates when we have them 
on the note of historical epics, I will say I'm looking forward to Manhunt coming out on Friday, March 15th. This is a seven-part true crime limited series starring Tobias Menzies about the hunt for John Wilkes Booth in the aftermath of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. I think the John Wilkes Booth stuff has been woefully underutilized in popular culture. Like there's just so much uh, that has to be mined there about John Wilkes Booth uh, that I think we haven't seen yet. Uh, So I'm really excited about it. It's true crime. It doesn't seem like it's a, uh, you know, uh, narrative fiction or anything like that, as far as I can tell. Um, But also, I don't know if you remember this, but Christopher McQuarrie, who is currently making Mission Impossible films, he Mm -hmm. wrote a unproduced script called Booth. Uh, that he has been wanting to make for like a decade or so. Like he's been wanting to make it for many, many years. Cannot get the funding to make it. Huh. Uh, so who knows? Maybe a manhunt on Apple TV Plus is going to be the shot in the arm that John Wilkes Booth needs to get going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Patrick Klepek, any any excitement for Booth? Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I, I like the fact that I think... Part of the reason I have some indifference to something like Franklin is seems well trotted historical territory. And is like my impression is like, I don't know, did Michael Douglas just want to dress up as opposed to when I get to a show like, you know, a historical show, like, is it illuminating something that I haven't heard before? Even if it's revisiting information I might know from a certain context, is it recontextualizing it, telling it a different way? At least this is coming from, you know, the Lincoln assassination from a different angle. Um, and so I think at least on, on the merits there, it sounds like it could be a little more interesting uh, just as someone personally that doesn't just saying it's a historical doesn't get me in the door. I need a, I need a little bit of a hook uh, beyond that. Um, and that itself uh, uh, might be it. There is an eight episode drama called sugar starring Colin Farrell as John sugar, an American private investigator on the heels of the mysterious disappearance of Olivia Siegel. That's coming out April 5th. Uh, this is probably one of their marquee ones because it's got Colin Farrell in it. Colin Farrell having a busy year. He's going to be in the Penguin show on Max as well. Uh, looks interesting. I've heard it's genre bending, you know? So anyway. That, that usually means some sort of sci-fi twist at, at <laughs> some point, right? I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to say that's what it is, but if I'm using previous evidence yeah, yeah. of Apple shows, that certainly seems like, I don't know, is Colin Farrell a time traveler? Like, who knows? Like, it's, I feel like that you're waiting for some sort of, in every Apple show, I'm waiting for a, a sci-fi twist to drop uh, it's, it's, at some point. I mean, you know, one of the things that's not on here is, you know, Severance, right? Like, which has been in production on and off for, for uh, a bit now, um, but doesn't seem like it's going to make an appearance uh, yeah. this year, yeah. uh, which, is, which is unfortunate. And then there's also a uh, eight-part limited series called Presumed Innocent, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, based on the New York Times bestselling novel by Scott Turo. This is also uh, uh, executive produced by David E. Kelly and J.J. Abrams. Friday, June 14th for Presumed Innocent. I'm always game for any kind of Jake Gyllenhaal performance, so I'm looking forward to that. Patrick Klepek, yay or nay on that one? Well, yeah, with the on Gyllenhaal, but also uh, in general, seem to like David E. Kelly's stuff. Um, there's a certain... His touch of the melodrama seems mm-hmm. to work with me. Uh, I tend to like his projects more than... I don't. Um, and so, you know, you attach his name to something, I'll at least give it a look. All right. Uh, so that's a lot of the stuff coming out on Apple TV+. Plus. I also want to mention some shows are returning. Loot Season 2 is coming out. Uh, there's going to be Girl State, which is kind of the follow-up to Boy State. That's a movie. 
and then there is also going to be additional seasons of the Big Door Prize coming in April and also Acapulco coming in May. Uh, and Trying, season four, uh, coming in May as well. So that's some of the stuff coming to Apple TV+. Plus. Let's talk about some of the stuff coming out for uh, Netflix. The Gentleman. Uh, this is a TV series based off of the Guy Ritchie film. The Gentleman sees Eddie Horniman unexpectedly inherit his father's sizable country estate, only to discover it's part of a clandestine cannabis empire. Yay or nay on The Gentleman coming in March 2024, Patrick Lepic. I don't. I have not seen the original film that it's based upon. What it, do you think that? has legs for a television show like are you familiar at all with Cer- the- certainly i've seen the film uh it had some very unnecessary anti-asian racism in it, in it but, <laughs> okay great uh but other than that i you know it's, <laughs> it's fine you know like I, I think it's fine uh theo james is the actor and uh, mm-hmm. he was great in uh the white lotus season two uh so i'm really curious kind of what he's capable of so i, I am a ten- tentative Yay, depending on uh, whether or not there's anti-Asian racism in this one. Uh, (laughs) Patrick Klepek, Patrick Klepek, you you yay or nay on The Gentleman coming in March of 2024. I I mean, I feel like this is, you know, Netflix bread and butter, right? Like crime thrillers Mm -hmm. are so much of the backbone of what makes Netflix as a service function and – Unfortunately, that means it's gotten to a point where my eyes sort of glaze over at the latest one <laughs> right, yeah. hitting. And that is just, they just do less for me. Like it needs to hit a certain level of like critical acclaim. Like, hey, there's something re- like a a long crime epic, like I said, like is not enough to get me in the door. It's got to be like, that doesn't immediately scratch an itch for me. Obviously, it scratches an itch for a lot of people on netflix and look at the rise of true crime podcasts and shows like there's a wide audience for it it's not me that's okay but for me i look at something like this and you know guy Ritchie is interesting like that at least gets me to raise an eyebrow more than uh, i would about if you told me that exact same premise absent guy Ritchie. um but i feel like with so many of these kind of crime epic television shows i just have to wait to see if is this one at you know just a time filler and it's like oh it's fine or is there something actually going on right. here that kind of makes it rise above totally fair uh so that was the gentleman coming in march of 2024 speaking of march 2024 one of the big ones the three body problem the three body problem a young woman's fateful decision in 1960s china reverberates across space and time into the present day end quote this is the big tv series from david benioff and db weiss obviously were the, the creative voices behind Game of Thrones. Uh, this is a, like their first big title, as far as I can tell, since Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Been, a, been a long time since they've been kind of in the popular imagination. Uh, Patrick Klepek, I have to imagine we'll probably cover this on, on Decoding TV in some form. Because uh, it's going to be one of the biggest... I have to know. I have to know. Like, that's where I'm at, because I think... In some ways, I feel bad for these two. Like, I mean, they <laughs> they made their own... You know, they they've... Okay. That's that's loaded. They've they have made a bed. <laughs> they did lie in it. Um, you know, in in many ways. But you know, to to go from Game of Thrones to maybe making Star Wars, and then not making Star Wars, and then what was the HBO show that got canceled in between the Civil Confe- War? Confederate? Is that what you're Confederate. thinking? Confederate again? Like they've made their like the, <laughs> their grave is very deep from their own shovels. Uh, but and especially given how Game of Thrones ended. But you know, they 
they were cooking for a while there for a long while on adapting a work. And so I'm much more intrigued to see them take on a work and adapting it and translating it to television because the last time they did anything that I found interesting was with them approaching literally the the same, the same problem, a three body problem, uh, if you will. That said, as dense as Martin's work is, I have not read this, I think trilogy uh, of books. Um, but my understanding is they are like very, it, it would be a challenge to adapt these in a television show, in a movie. It is difficult you would have to do a lot of be very pretty inventive to get it uh, to be something sort of interesting and work as a television show. So given all that and all the discourse around Weiss, I just, I just got to know like what have they put together here for better or worse? Um, I think at the very least, it'll be interesting. Um, I expect it to be either like shockingly good or shockingly bad. I really don't think there's any other path for this show. There's no other show that shows that it's so important how you end something than Game of Thrones, I think. Because I think that really soured people on these creators. Yeah. Even though, I'm going to just say, pretty consistently, they've been delivering good results for, like, basically a decade, right? Like, I, I think I think the, the, the awfulness of much of mostly the finals i know they they it kind of goes on a yeah. you know descent descent at a at a certain point especially when they like kind of lose stuff to adapt in the books but i do think people have used how awful that show ended to just conveniently forget a lot of the amazing thing they did leading up to that and to just pretend that a book is just something you, you just rearrange the words and get some cameras and then it's just great. A good right. book, a good book is just a good TV show. It is not. And I think that is really, yeah. again, I, I think they have, got, they have their own shovels. They did, they dug, they dug, yeah. but I do think people have really used how that show ended to forget a lot of the amazing work that they did do for many, many years that is directly attributable to their work on the show. And uh, that is what I hope they bring to this is that same sort of energy and interest in finding a way to adapt challenging material to the screen. Whether they do it, I, I have no idea. Maybe Game of Thrones will prove to be lightning in the bottle. It was just the right material for two people at a certain stage in their life. And they're not going to do have anything of interest after that. But I'm at least rooting for this to be good because I know how much the book actually means to so many people. Like, like it's essentially a series that probably wouldn't have gotten this scale of interest without these two being interested right. in, in cashing in their Game of Thrones capital. And it's not like you're going to get another whack at three body problem. Like if this doesn't work, you know, the book still exists, doesn't undermine the books existing. But I mean, you say that you say it's not like you're going to get a, a, a whack at this. But at the same time, uh, I think when, you know, we watched Avatar The Last Airbender, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, I remember, that's I remember fair. Devendra, Devendra being so crushed because he, he thought, to be, like, this is the last time we're ever going to see this work adapted. That's me in Dark Tower. The, the, most right, crushing, right, right, right. the most crushing moment I have had watching a television show or movie theater was watching 
the, I mean, my wife turned to me and said, do you want to leave? Like, you, are you, are you okay? And I was like... You were distraught. I was. I, watching the Idris Elba Dark Tower. Attitude. He was such a great choice, too, man. He was... Anyway, but like, I've, yes, when, I... You know, when I, I think of Dark Tower, the first thing that comes to mind is that is a book that should be 90 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get me started. We'll do a bonus pod in Dark Tower one day, yeah. even though it's a television that, show. That is a, that is a movie that should be 95 minutes long. Mm-hmm. In movie, a book that should be ninety-five minutes long in movie form. That's how you should adapt <sighs> that that massive tome. Okay. Anyway, but yes, uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. There's going to be another live-action version yeah. on Netflix this month. So uh, there's a whole controversy around that. You know that uh, maybe we can save that for another day if we end up covering that show. But uh, the show that we were just talking about is Three Body Problem. It's going to be on Netflix in March twenty-first. Another show, American Primeval. A raw, adventurous exploration of the birth of the American West. The violent collision of cultures, religions, and communities as men and women fight and die for control of this new world, for a land they truly believe is their destiny, end quote. This stars Taylor Kitsch, Betty Gilpin, and Dane DeHaan. It's created by Mark L. Smith, writer of The Revenant and The Boys in the Boat, Patrick Klepek, Yerne. I'm just glad someone's given Taylor Kitsch a shot after John Carter of Mars didn't work out. That wasn't his fault. That wasn't mm-hmm. his fault. <laughs> I think this could be good. I think this could be good. And I love The Revenant, you know, so that's, yeah. that's me. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, all right. Another one. Let's talk about uh, Black Doves uh, set against the backdrop of London at Christmas. Black Doves is a sharp, action-filled, and heartfelt story of friendship and sacrifice. The series follows Helen Webb, played by Kira Knightley, a quick-witted, down-to-earth, dedicated wife and mother, and professional spy. <laughs> okay. This is directed by Joe Barton, who created uh, the show Haji. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, Mm-mm. but was very well regarded. Um, anyway, or sorry, sorry, Girl Haji, name of the show. Uh, Girl slash Haji. Oh, uh, and also, as I'm a saying, British a, crime drama on BBC Two. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a writer on The Ritual, a Netflix horror movie from some years back that was did, uh, directed by David Bruckner. He most recently did the Hulu. Yeah, uh, Hellraiser, um, sort of remake, reimagining Ritual, one of my favorite horror movies of like the last ten years. I think that movie slaps. Like, really, if you have not seen that, uh, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a great creature reveal uh, at the end. Um, so, just based on that alone, uh, I I am I'm very interested to see what's what's going on here. Yeah, so that's Black Doves. It'll be out sometime in 2024. Uh, there's a show called Eric. Set in 1980s New York, Eric is a new emotional thriller from Abby Morgan following the desperate search of a father when his nine-year-old son disappears one morning on the way to school, end quote. Uh, This one's by Abby Morgan, who uh, is a writer who made uh, films such as The Iron Lady, Shame, and Suffragette. Like, very talented writer, uh, and this stars Benedict, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And Gabby Hoffman. So I think this will be one that should be interesting to check out as well. No release date on this one. These are all 2024 movies and TV shows. Are, so, uh, But I think this falls into your true crime. You're not quite as interested in it, Patrick Lepic, right? Well, this is probably but, but I do like to be sad, David. We share that in common. That's um, absolutely As correct. we talked about with expats, I got two kids. Sad stories about kids? I'm like the opposite of Jeff Kanata. Like he runs away from that, I run right to it. <laughs> wow. Um. Um. I. I, I think because, you know, as, as I mentioned when we talk about expats, like I, I, I find it cathartic to watch stories about traumas like that to work through my own anxieties about kind of the stories you tell yourself about how things can go 
like tragically wrong in your own life, whether it's related to traumas you've had or traumas you imagine could have. And like, again, every parent's nightmare is a kid going missing. And so I sometimes find media like that to be cathartic and interesting to sort of experience that in a safe, <laughs> safe environment. Form. Now right. I am not as this, uh, as the log line for this one points out a puppeteer for a television show, but I have a seven year old <laughs> and in the show, the nine year old is one who goes missing. And so, uh, I mean, I think things like Dr. Strange have made us forget that, uh, Cumberbatch can be a pretty terrific dramatic actor when given the right material. Um, and so I, I don't know this, this one actually would, because of the plot line might actually bend into one of those that actually, uh, as I've said, gets me in the door on this one because sad kid story, uh, uh I find relatable. I think it could be interesting. The TV shows, Eric, no release date yet, sometime in 2024. Uh, I did want to shout out A Man in Full. This is a new David E. Kelly series. When Atlanta real estate mogul Charlie Croker faces sudden bankruptcy, political and business interests collide as Charlie defends his empire from those attempting to capitalize on his fall from grace. End quote. I don't know that this is a show I, I would watch, but it's David E. Kelly. It stars Jeff Daniels and Tom Pelfrey and Diane Lane yeah. and Lucy Liu. It's an incredible cast. So it's huh. like... I could see myself like flipping this on if I scrolled past it on Netflix. So that's a man in full sometime in 2024. Finally, one fun one on here. Uh, Edwin and Charles are teenagers born decades apart who find each other only in death. They are best friends and ghosts who solve mysteries. (laughs) This is created by Steve Yockey and Beth Schwartz. I think Beth Schwartz worked on uh, The Flight Attendant, Mm. uh, the Max original uh, original series. So... Uh, probably not something I'm going to watch. I just thought it was a really funny uh, premise for a show. It's called Dead Boy Detectives sometime in 2024 coming out on Netflix. I also wanted to shout out there's like 15 or 12 things coming out on Netflix that are follow-up seasons um, to TV shows. I'm just going to list them all right now. Arcane season two, November 2024. Did you watch Super the first season? Yes. Incredible. Yeah. Super okay. Yeah. I was going to say that is like I have... No interest, in fact, negative interest in the world and lore of League of Legends. And I would implore anybody who is on that wavelength to watch Arcane. It is it's some of the most dazzling animation I've ever seen. It's great incredible storytelling. Yeah. Like, like it made me no more interested to play the video game, but made me very interested in a season two of that show. Yeah. So uh, Arcane Season 2, November 2024, super excited, excited. Cobra Kai Season 6, The Night Agent Season 2, The Diplomat Season 2, Bridgerton Season 3, Emily in Paris Season 4, uh, Girls 5 Eva Season 3, that's an exciting one, coming over from Peacock, Squid Game Season 2, we've already discussed, the next season of Sweet Tooth as well, and finally, the culminating event of Netflix's entire year, they're peaking early, with Love is Blind <laughs> Season 6. Which, as far as I can tell, is coming out on Valentine's Day of this year. So your Valentine's Day plans are set already, folks. <laughs> Love is Blind, season six. Anyway, that is just some of what Netflix is releasing this year. And we'll link to you know their full slate in the show notes. Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts? Anything I missed that you think we should mention? Or, or should no, we wrap I was, it up there? I yeah. was scrolling through. Um, uh, but uh, no, it's, it's a really interesting... Uh, lineup, I think. I think there's yeah. going to be a number of those that we'll probably be covering throughout the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, that's what's coming out on Apple TV and Netflix in the next year. One final story before we get to our reviews of TV shows for today. And that is that Nick Pizzolatto has said a dumb thing again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. uh, reading from Vulture, uh, 
Issa Lopez responds to Nick Pizzolatto's criticism of True Detective Night Country. Reddit has, reading for this article, quote, Reddit has screen grabs of comments in which Pizzolatto, whose second and third seasons of True Detective were nowhere near as critically successful or widely watched as first, distances himself from Night Country, calling its narrative connections to earlier iterations of the show so stupid and declaring, I certainly did not have any input on this story or anything else. Can't blame me. End quote. Uh, Issa Lopez, during a recent interview, responded to these remarks saying, quote, I believe every storyteller has a very specific, peculiar, and unique relation to the stories they create. And whatever his reactions are, he's entitled to them. That's his prerogative. I wrote this with profound love for the work he made and love for the people that loved it. And it is a reinvention and it is different. And it's done with the idea of sitting around a fire and let's have some fun and have some feelings and have some thoughts. And anybody that wants to join is welcome, end quote. Issa Lopez, a class act, you can tell yeah. right from that. Now, I do want to acknowledge that it is a well-known fact that Issa Lopez was pitching a show called Night Country to HBO when you know the, fo- the execs at HBO said, hey, let's fold this into True Detective. Like, let's take this show that you have and put it under the True Detective banner, at which point I think during the development process, those connections to True Detective were established. Um, so... It is very much a thing of this was not initially conceived as like an extension of True Detective. It was initially conceived as something else that was, depending on who you are, you know, or how you think of it, shoehorned into the True Detective universe. Patrick Klepek, what was your reaction when you read the story? Uh, yeah, it's been fascinating because I think this moment with Pizzolatto lines up with like he's the most toxic element of a larger like negative backlash that is uh-huh. happening to yes. the show. It's, Which I we will remember. discuss momentarily, yes. Yeah, well, we'll get into more in, in discussing the episode, but uh, she has just broadly kind of been weirdly under siege for yeah. a, lo- a lot of this. You know, we, we discussed, uh, you know, in, in earlier episodes about how because she is a very online creator, she's out there talking to people on social media. This was something that was true before um, uh, uh, Night Country landed. Like, she's just always been that type of creative. She's just very friendly and open, and you're very likely to engage with her on on Twitter, and, like, she might like or reply to something. She's just that kind of person. We'll see if that continues after her experience on on Night Country. I hope so, because I I love following her on there. But um, this show, this season, has just become a... A fascinating magnet, um, and, and maybe more of those thoughts are, are best uh, left to our actual discussion of the episode, where we can unpack it there. But I, I we have theories on where it's coming from. May, maybe I just uh, I'll shut my mouth and we'll we'll wait till we get to the next part. But I also think Pizzolatto should maybe shut his mouth too. Um, I think people need <laughs> I, to remember. I like, think it's like it's very cla- It's like very tasteless. It's, I think it's too. very. It's if you to don't come they, out and and criticize. During the show, too, like this is not like a re- career retrospective ten years from now. That that would be like still kind of not cool, but at least like I would understand it. But like while the show is airing, you know, like or it's not um, an interview in which it's like, hey, um, you know, like what are your thoughts? And like, hey, yeah, I kind of wish they didn't go in this. You know, like, and then, there's nothing diplomatic about it. He's just being a dick. Yeah, um, yeah and, and these are comments he made on on his, on Instagram. By the way, we should point out, like, this and is, I will say yeah. that the comments uh, of him be, him being a dick are in line with many other comments <laughs> of him being. I, it's been long enough. Like Pizzolatto hasn't been in the spotlight. 
not the first time a man has stepped in it. Um, this mm-hmm. is just this is just the the newest version of it, and in under less of a spotlight, and in one in which he can get uh, some clicks off of it on on his own profile page because uh, like his whole comment section is just full of season one uh, yeah. true believers. I don't think that. Uh, anything Nick Pizzolatto did here was okay. But if I'm trying to put myself in his position, mm-hmm. you know, he made, he created this franchise. Yep. Uh, he made one really good season of television, you know, and then two pretty mediocre ones. And, uh, and then in comes in this person who like, isn't associated with the show at all, kind of shoehorning in their story into the franchise. And by the way, it has like a 90% on run to be, you know, like people, Overall, the critical community loves the show. Uh, I can see why that might irritate someone in that position. Again, not excusing anything he did. Just trying to understand, like, why you would do something like this. You know, why you would call something out like this. But well, it's, in not, any it's case, not as though he has gone on to, why, like, gone on to make a bunch of other movies right. and television shows post. Like, True Detective is essentially was, was his it, breakout. If he was, he wouldn't have time to post trolly comments on Instagram. I gotta probably, be honest, like, there's there is strong, like... I think in his Instagram, he actually just got married, but he has strong, like, divorced dad energy, like, <laughs> radiating from, like, everything that he's saying. It's like, I am just sitting around all the time loving people on my Instagram comments telling me how cool I am. It's just – it comes across as creatively pathetic is what I is what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't think is the kind of thing that is said by a confident creative Absolutely. that can let their work – stand as a t- like look the best way to like show like you've done something better than night country is to be making something better than night country or let's right. season one stand you know what the, the toxic fan community is doing the work for you in in the fact and, and well, night country invites it by doing the explicit connections to season one right and right. maybe ultimately we'll look at that as a misstep yeah um yeah, yeah, by the yeah. show um even as you know we'll get into what we feel about it but generally you and i have quite liked it um but I, I could see the I could see in res- retrospect, perhaps an argument that by drawing those connections, you've then drawn these comparisons and it's kind of created a, a discourse about this show that is feels very disconnected from the show itself. It's also like shows the downside of trying to fit one franchise into another is that your original very strong willed creator might go rogue on you, basically. Right. Um and this stuff happens all the time. Like, for instance, uh, m- one of my favorite examples is Die Hard with a Vengeance, one of my favorite Die Hard movies. One of the top two Die Hard movies, in my opinion. Uh, it's the third one, right? The one in yeah, the New third York. One, yeah, and um, that was... Um, that Samuel was, Jackson. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not originally a Die Hard movie. I th- it was originally like a thriller called Simon Says. And they they read the script. They're like, why don't we retrofit this into a Die Hard movie? You know, and it's like, that stuff happens all the time. Um, you just usually don't have a creator who's a dick about it, you know, who's like, <laughs> who, who goes on the record and is like, this is terrible. So anyway, uh, that's a bunch of the stuff that's been happening in the world of television. We're about to get to our conversations about Mr. And Mrs. Smith and um, True Detective. Before we do that, I do just want to mention, you know, Patrick Klepek and I have been talking about how we should handle these segments of the show. And and particularly, we've been talking about like bonus episodes, right, at decodingtv.com and, and what people might want to see in bonus episodes. So uh, I guess here's an open question for folks. If you are a paying subscriber to Decoding TV right now, or if you um, are considering it, you know, what would make you keep your subscription and or what would make you sign up? You know, one of the, one of the ideas we've had is uh, somebody wrote in about like, 
maybe uh, like currently we're doing not super detailed recaps of the shows. Maybe we do like slightly more detailed recaps just for bonus episodes. One another idea is maybe we start shows on Decoding TV like expats. And then maybe we don't talk about the ending of it unless it's on the bonus episode, you know, like, so we have some ideas of, of, uh, how to, how to cover things from a bonus episode perspective. We'd love to hear people's thoughts of like, what would you pay more money for? And, or what would you keep paying more money for, uh, at decodingtv.com? Let us know at decodingtv at gmail.com. Won't you? All right, folks. Uh, let's talk about Mr. and Mrs. Smith on prime video. I'm Jay. I'm John. Banking card and marriage registration. Something that can make you do right. married. Yeah, I guess we're married. Make you do right. They didn't bring up that we'd be paired until the last interview. It's an old KGB tactic. They draw less attention as a couple. Very romantic. All right, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a new show that's streaming on Prime Video. All episodes dropped at once, which is kind of curious. Uh, like, t- typically, if a streaming platform is confident that a show can generate conversation over an extended period of weeks, they'll space out the release schedule. But they dropped all these at once. Uh, and so there, there's an open question that we will answer about whether or not the show is any good. Uh, but we are going to talk about episodes one through four. Every episode is titled after a relationship milestone, uh, and the uh, episode descriptions are written as though they are from a child storybook, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. So anyway, episode one, first date. Episode two, second date. Episode three, first vacation. Episode four, double date. Here's the description of episode one. I'm not going to read them all, but meet the Smiths, John and Jane, strangers who have given up on their identities. Uh, to be paired off by a secret or a secretive organization, both in espionage and in marriage. Two peas stuck in one pod. Come along as they run, jump, and adventure, making friends and making memories. But watch out, there's something amiss for this very first mission. It's John and Jane's first date. Good luck, John and Jane, end quote. Um, so that's how it goes. All right, Patrick Klepek. Uh, let's start by talking about whether or not, in one sentence or less, people should watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I think Amazon made a huge mistake not doing this weekly. I think the show is tremendous. It's utterly charming. I'm I'm delighted every night when I'm turning on a new one. It's it's nice. fantastic. I also really enjoy the show. I'm not quite as over the moon on it as like my film cast co-host and as you seem to be about it, but I think it's a great time. So I think it's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. All right. So those are our overall thoughts. Let's dive into what actually happens in these episodes and and kind of some more specific criticisms. Let's start by talking about what the show does really well. It obviously has amazing talent in terms of the writing and the directing. Hiro Mirai, who did a bunch of Atlanta episodes, directed some of these episodes. Um, Donald Glover uh, helped to write a lot of the episodes. So, like, some amazing talent, you know, behind the camera. But I think one of the things that really makes this show work is the chemistry between Don Glover and uh, Maya Erskine. I think they just have, like, you need to be able to watch these people interact for eight hours for this show to work, and I think they have a delightful chemistry. Patrick Klepek, what do you think of the interactions between these two characters? Yeah, I, based on the movie, which is obviously an adaptation of, you know, kind of an extension of the Brad Smith, Angelina Jolie uh, film, even though it departs pretty significantly um, in premise and execution and even tone, um, but 
it's not a spy show. It's a rom-com that yeah. it also happens to have spy elements like that. And I guess that's going, going into it. Uh, I didn't understand where the line was on the mix of those two things. Yeah, and yeah. I would say this is 80% of rom-com that occasionally like is a spy show. Um, and to some degree, I think that's going to inform like how you respond to the show. It's hard for me to imagine anybody not responding to the interactions between the two leads, but they carry your enjoyment of that carries the show. And so I think sort of like, you know, your uh, how exaggerated is your react? How much are you going to love this show? Well, it depends on how much you love these two people being cute with one another, being funny with one another. Right. And it works for me 110%. Like, f- frankly, getting over to the spy stuff, far le- as long as that's an interesting reason for these two to do something fun with one another, I could I could care less about uh, the actual spy stuff because I am, I'm just invested in these two talking to, to one another. And so that works for me extremely well. Yeah. I, I, sorry. I also want to mention Francesca Sloan is one of the co-creators of the show. Uh, she was a writer on Atlanta as well. Um, very talented as well. Didn't want to downplay Francesca's con- contributions. She co-created the show with Donald Glover. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like the thing, but the, the interactions between the two of them really work. Also, I think the show is just really well directed. Like, the the music is good the pacing the editing is good the production design is good like uh it just is like a very breezy fun show highly enjoyable i have a couple issues with the show uh <laughs> i i think i was surprised at the speed with which they kind of become like really attached to each other do you know what i mean i think it's like by episode three they're confessing of how much they care about each other and uh, I was like, I, I didn't think we would get to that point to like episode six or like seven out of eight. You know what I mean? Like it really feels like it fast forwards that relationship development for me. And um, that's one of the two big issues I have with the show. Patrick Klepek, any reaction to that? Well, the show itself, no, we've only seen the first four, but it's very fuzzy on time. Um, mm-hmm. When we're going from episode to episode, you are left to more or less infer what's passed in between the episode before and where we're at. Um, you know, you can get a general sense of like, has it been a week? Has it been a month? But we're not getting like, you know, one month later um, after like where you can kind of see, I think in your head, how would a relationship involve for two people who are essentially isolated from the world going on violent high stakes adventures with one another And I think with a better sense of the passage of time, maybe that would alleviate some of your concerns because you could then mentally fill in, well, okay, they've just been with each other for another month and a half. We didn't see the interactions during that month and a half. But if you think about a hot and heavy romance of two people who just immediately click and go off to the races, I think you're, I think you kind of fill those gaps in if the, if the show had a better sense of time, none of that has bothered, none of that has bothered me, but I can't. I can fully see why it would bother someone if we're not seeing some of those moments in between. I've just sort of taken for granted this show's premise was they're going to get together. And I think the show just says to itself, let's just get to that part. Right. And then deal with everything after. And and maybe like the, the final four episodes will like really justify that decision. Right. Like we'll be like, Oh, there's a bunch of adventures we want them to go on and we want it to have like stakes. 
And that only works if they're already like a unit at that point. Um, and so, whereas I felt like my Erskine's character is so kind of standoffish at the beginning. It's like, oh, watching them break through that shell is going to be interesting. But then it's like already broken by like episode two, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. never mind. Um, the other issue I had is I was initially hoping this might be a show I could take seriously, if that makes sense. No, uh, no, and no I don't, actually, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and and it, I don't think you can. Like it's just like I think in uh, which episode is it where they do the, they kill a billionaire? Um, uh, in episode two, right? Um, yes, yeah, with the, the truth they, serum, they go and kill John Turturro again. Really amazing. The whole sequence is really amazing, and I need to refer to something that uh, former decoding TV co-host once said about billionaires, which is that you often find with billionaires that they're into weird sex things. Um, and it's like, why, why is that the case? And it's because it's like the one remaining <laughs> like horizon of human experience that they feel like they can like, you know, the, the highest end of the human experience that they feel like they can manipulate. There's nothing else. They've conquered everything else. And so making people do weird things is like uh, one of the things that they choose to how they use their time. And so the John Turturro depiction was very plausible to me. But then when he is murdered without anyone uh, giving a crap, seemingly, <laughs> like, that's when I was like, oh, uh, you know, like, I kind of realized, oh, this isn't a show that I can really, this is not a gritty, realistic show in any way, nor a show whose spy organization I can take seriously because of what we see in episode four with the double date. I'm like, this is, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, 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 I'm having a difficult time taking the show seriously in any respect. And so I've decided I'm going to let go and kind of be like, hey, it's just a fun watch. It's not something I need to think too hard about. Patrick Klepek, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think the show signals this pretty early. And right. I did note That's to true. myself, I think by the end of the first episode, um, where uh, an explosion occurs in which this is set in present day. Yeah. Um, there are cameras everywhere. Uh, the idea that the police would not be able to trace back right, two people right. that walked in and then <laughs> sprint. I mean, there's a moment they, where they're they, not even trying to look inconspicuous. They are like sprinting away. Extremely out, they go into multiple businesses. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the show, you know, it, it's, it's, it's indifferent to getting you on board with that element. It sort of Absolutely. just asks, you need to just accept that there's going to be fuzzy. Like the show is going to err on the side of what is entertaining and interesting for our characters yeah. and yeah. the emotions they're experiencing with one another. Cause again, that's the rom-com element. It's not grounded in any sort of reality that you can sit with plausibly after the episode has finished because you can poke holes in everything and the show invites that i don't think it's running from yeah. much like our characters are running right into the street where they they could be seen and eventually traced uh and they just go back to the same home that you know it's just it's patently ridiculous and i think it's interesting and noteworthy that the show does not try to address that what it is just fully ignored it, there could easily have been lines in this show where even if it's implausible they explain, well, the company has like a cleanup opera. You know what I mean? Like there's just nothing. And the people involved are too <laughs> smart to not know right. th what the show's doing. But it did, I did note to myself when that happened, I think this show might fully fall apart for David because of these. <laughs> like I just thought like 
you, you're the, you always strike me as the type of person yeah. that's thinking on about those things, appreciates when shows can uh, acknowledge like even a heightened reality. But what what rules is it playing by? And this show isn't playing exactly. by rules. Yeah. And I can imagine that being irritating. And if you can't let that go, it can be sort of hard to fully engage with with the show because it plays flat, fast and loose. Like it's not like it isn't world building. Um, it's not pretending like it isn't painting a, a, a place around you, but it sort of doesn't care if it all makes sense. And I, I'm, I struggle to imagine by the end of the show that all of a sudden it's all going to lock into place. I, I don't think it's going to care about that. Part. <laughs> I, I agree. Have you seen David Fincher's The Killer on Netflix? I have. I thought about the ending of that movie. Right, right. So let's. Okay. We're going to spoil. We're going right. to spoil. I David almost, Fincher's, I almost yeah. brought this up. I was like, I don't know if I should spoil the killer in the middle yeah. of talking about. So this we're going to spoil David Fincher's the killer. So like, skip forward by like a uh-huh. couple minutes if you don't want to hear the ending of David Fincher's the killer. But um, David Fincher's the killer, very good movie. Almost was in my top ten of twenty twenty three. Great movie. Really, really highly enjoyable. It's about this really mediocre uh, hitman who goes on a killing... <laughs> it's about this mediocre hitman who goes on a killing spree after he fucks something up. Like, he makes a mistake, and then his organization's like, well, we gotta clean this up. And then he gets super pissed and is like, I gotta, you know, I gotta, th- you know, I gotta start killing everyone who wronged me, a grieved, mediocre, white dude killer. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he goes on a rampage. He's just killing everyone who wrong uh, to be fair they go after his uh one of his loved ones but anyway Mm -hmm. he starts killing all these people and he kills his way all the way up to the top uh and in the final scene of the killer spoiler for the killer he confronts the billionaire who initiated the hit that he messed up at the beginning of the movie and decides to not murder the billionaire which many people saw as very disappointing because it felt like the movie was building up to this kill But he acknowledges in the movie the reason you don't kill billionaires is because a lot of questions get asked. This guy who was like just murdering people left and right, he's like, that's one thing I'm not going to do is kill this billionaire. Meanwhile, this billionaire in this show doesn't even seem to have uh, a bodyguard at all or or even someone keeping track of his whereabouts in any way anyway when everyone everyone, fil- everyone films a sequence right like you were ex- the movie or the yes. show explicitly shows it is <laughs> the show could have done like hey this is a private event everyone right. has to check their phones right, at the door right, right. there is like like and that minimizes the surveillance like again yeah. it's kind of take it or leave it but i can absolutely understand the i was able to just i'm able everything else about it just washes over me to a degree that i'm so fixated on these two and they work so well but it is easy to imagine a different version of the show that just took that a tiny bit more yeah, just like i don't think 10 to 20 percent yeah just like 10 to 20 percent more seriously would be great you know i like, think it just i think it, it actively chooses yeah. not to yeah um and 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 maybe that is the i i i didn't watch uh, more than the first season in Atlanta. And I know it got like more surrealist as it went on. And I wonder if that is part of the influence here. You could probably speak to that more with more clarity than I could, but the, I, the idea of do what's more important for the story than wor- worrying too much about like the X, Y, Z, uh, like world building uh, of it yeah. all. And it seems to air, air on that side, but I don't know if it's a better show if it takes that stuff seriously, but it's a, it's a choice by the show to not take that stuff. Certainly. Seriously. Certainly. 
I would say Atlanta was very, very grounded for like 90 plus percent of its okay. of its run. So like there's some surrealistic elements for sure. There's some wild episodes, but like most of the show was very grounded in reality. Ultra grounded, I would say. Um, uh, let's talk about a couple of elements that occur in this first few episodes. I mean, it's delightful to see all the cameos. Like every episode, there's like a new a new famous person <laughs> yeah. shows up and that's really fun, right? Yep. Uh, the, epi- the show begins with, Alex Garsgard and Isaac Gonzalez. We assume another Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Again, you know, this is a situation where it's like, hey, I don't know how they ended up in that situation, but it feels like this is like the replicant program in Blade Runner. It's like, hey, maybe you want to rethink this whole entire program. You know, Um, maybe, I don't know, if you're making replicants and you're having trouble tracking them, I don't know, build them so that you they have a mark on them that you can see that they're replicants, you know, like <laughs> design them in a way that they're not un- indistinguishable from humans, you know, like um, there's a lot of choices you could make. And similarly, the Mysterious Spy Organization, obviously they are fucking up royally in some way by designing the system, but it is really fun to see those two famous actors and then they just get killed immediately. Um, mm-hmm. that was a, that was a cool scene. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Patrick Klepek. No, I've, I, the stunt cat, the show is clearly making a point of its stunt casting. And and sometimes it's, you know, someone who's really noteworthy right now, like a Paul Dano. Um, other times, uh, it's the, I think in the, is the second or the third episode when they go to, the, uh, um, uh, to the ski lift, like to the, yeah. to the uh, ski lodge and, uh, the, 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 the character actor who plays the husband, who I'm sure has been in a ton of different things, but me and my wife looked, it was like, that's the guy from 4,400, which was an old USA sci-fi show wow. that I adored. Deep like, cut. A deep cut from like 20 years ago. But, um, so it doesn't quite count as like stunt casting of a mod, but like this show has such a great deep bench of yes. like clearly Donald Glover, like calling in like favors or like, come on, like come, come do a fun thing on my, on my show for, you know, a day or two, but also being very, sometimes stunt casting is just to draw your attention away. And, and the first episode does that in which you have, you stunt cast so that it's shocking. Like, why would you cast this person and then off them immediately? But then it has a different relationship with stunt casting as it goes on, where it's, it's fun to see these, really notable actors, but it's also really choosy about kind of the character actors it's picking to put in. It's just a, it's just a really, it feels like it's, it's not, it's not just doing it for the sake of getting a famous name in there. They're, they're choosing them very specifically to embody these roles. And I I think they're doing a great job with the casting. So, um, I, I love, uh, it's a cool like construct where they're both answering questions from a computer, but you don't Mm -hmm. see the question in the opening episode. Right. Um, and you're learning about these characters and, and they're kind of, they're answering the same questions, but you don't hear what the question is. And so you kind of have to figure it, figure it out. That's always, that's a cool way to do exposition. I wanted to shout that out. Um, I wanted to mention uh, the episode four double date, which I thought was actually highly enjoyable. Uh, first of all, I think M- Wagner Mura, who played Pablo Escobar in Narcos. Mm-hmm. He's one of the people on the double date, uh, which he, first of all, he looks amazing. He lost like he apparently went on a vegan diet and lost a ton of weight uh, after playing Pablo Escobar in Narcos. Uh, but th- that episode was a lot of fun. I-, I have to say, I was kind of guessing that there might be something terribly wrong this whole time. Like these two people have been sent to assassinate them, or mm-hmm. they're actually not working for the same organization. It's a different one, and they shouldn't be having this meeting. But then it kind of all was for this kind of 
gag of, oh, they sent them on this mission and it was terrible. What I did like about it is this episode, as with many of the episodes, does a good job of the rom-com elements uh, where it captures what it's like when you're trying to meet people as a couple, right? And at the, they have this wonderful conversation at the end where it's like, why did we think they were cool? Like, why were you trying to impress them? You know, I love that. I love that. And, and, and that's one of the strongest parts of the show. If I'm not thinking about the spy stuff and how weird and nonsensical it is, uh, those character interactions are what keep me coming back. Patrick Klepek, any thoughts on anything I've said so far? Yeah, and I, I agree. And I, I love the, the way the show deploys violence. It's very mm-hmm. selective and it's on purpose. And I think that's part of why it downplays the spy stuff so that when it like engages with something that is high stakes, high risk, high consequences, uh, it, like it lands as opposed to just being well, here's the set piece in the episode because we're a spy show. And so we came up right. with a set piece. And so, yeah. you know, even in episode four where they go on this sort of like botched kind of like they kind of got hoodwinked sort of uh, yeah. mission. Um, it's a moment where they actually feel as though they could die. There are personal stakes for both of them. And it's where they end up like, you know, admitting that they love each other. And like, it's it's such a great way to integrate like, this high concept genre premise while getting at like, what is like a moment in many relationships of like, when, when do you finally step off the cliff and like tell someone how much mm-hmm. they mean to you? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you don't always do it in like the most romantic way. Sometimes it just sort of, just sort of happens. And I, I think it's just uh, really great at nailing that in, in the many different steps of a relationship. And my suspicion is we have not watched beyond, or I don't know. I don't know if you finished the show. I have not watched. Okay. I would never, I would never just making sure. But I, I suspect that we're part of the reason they rushed getting to them being together and falling in love is I suspect the, the arc of this season is the arc of a relationship mm-hmm. and that we are headed towards some sadness or some sort of a catastrophe by, right. by the end of it to some degree. Cause it feels in line with the pace that we're going at where yeah. like, it's all these important milestones. And by, by, you know, episode eight, when it, when it comes to a conclusion uh, or at least this season, they haven't said anything about a renewal um, is, is going to be about when you get past to the hot and heavy phase of a relationship and you start having real consequences, real tensions, um, and, and so far, I think the show has been incredibly smart about pacing that stuff out. And so I'm I'm very curious to see where, where they land with it. Agreed. Anything else you want to mention about the first four episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Prime Video, Patrick Lepic? It's really funny. Like, I, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's really funny. Like the, I, I, I think I texted you when I, like, my wife and I rewound the original fart a couple of times to be like, did we... Did, did we hear a like a fart in that in that scene? Because it's a funny show, but even that that joke it's set up an eventual payoff at the end of the episode, which I think is wonderful and like heartfelt and like the kind of thing that's not usually in a rom com. Yeah, and can you like, describe it just for those who you know? Might yeah, not so the, remember. It, like in early part of the episode, um, a Jane like in the middle of the night rips one and like it wakes her up and she chooses to explain like, Oh, I think, I think, I think, you know, I think something might've happened. I think someone's nearby. So they get up, look around, go back to sleep. 
And then later at the finale of the episode, as they're on a train leaving and they're laying in bed to like in this like tiny bed together, uh, uh, you know, he, Donald Glover mentions like, Hey, like, I know, I know you farted. Like, I, it's cool. Um, like that happens. Like you're sitting next to each other. Bodies, body stuff happens. It's not all just having sex. Like they do other things. <laughs> um, and she, cause she came up, she comes up with an excuse to like, I gotta, I'm hungry. I'm going to go walk around for a little bit. And that prompts him to just, just be honest. It's okay. Just, just let it go. And then she does. And it's like the most disgusting, smelly fart. And the scene lingers much like a fart. And <laughs> their reactions are just so, they're just so natural with one another that that joke could have just been played for just for like a fart can be funny. And like, it feels Mm -hmm. totally out there for a show that has not shown itself to be so slapstick to it, to a certain degree. Um, But they managed to take something as heightened as that. And I think it's what makes those characters so relatable is yeah. He just nonchalantly killed four guys on a, on a ski slope. We're not going to worry about like how that gets cleaned up or again, like don't, don't sweat it. It's not like he calls a cleanup crew for the company to go, hi, hi. We're also going to clean up the, the bodies. Uh, but it is the kind of stuff in, in rom-coms that we they don't really spend a lot of time about those like everyday mm-hmm. moments, which is like, I don't know, getting used to like, how does everyone feel about bodily yeah. functions? Do you do go you, to the bathroom and one another? Do you leave the door open when you're going to the bathroom? You know, exactly. Is that, is that acceptable? You know? Right. Uh, we talk in ones, we talk in twos, you know, like, you know, there's, again, it's all, <laughs> it's things that happen in relationships. It's mostly like, bathroom related stuff, actually. Yes. We think and it. it's not the kind of stuff that usually <laughs> yeah. is in here. And I, I love the fact that the show finds a certain sweetness in navigating these kinds of everyday parts of a relationship that goes beyond, I think you're hot and or interesting or both. Um, and then gets to the brass tacks of living with someone. I think now that I've kind of let go of some of my hangups around the show about the, the realism of the relationship, the realism of the spy organization, I think I'll enjoy the second half of the season much more. But uh, we're looking forward to covering it for you right here on Decoding TV. So those are our overall thoughts on the first half of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. All right, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about True Detective Part 4. You got six dead bodies in the local ice rink. You have protests around the mine. You need to get the shit under control. That video. There aren't any ice caves near where our body was found. It's a death trap. There were a bunch of accidents up there years ago. The men are out there looking for Clark. Where is he hiding? It takes us one by one. There's nothing except us. We're all in the night country now. All right, Patrick Klepek, I have a bunch of thoughts on True Detective Part 4 of Night Country. Uh, Before I get into them, though, like, I just want to kind of quick gut check. Did you did you like this episode? Do you like Part 4 of True Detective Night Country? I did, but I'm worried. (laughs) Is where (laughs) I I think where I'd say I'm where I'm at. I liked it. I thought it was a solid episode. But what is remarkable, I think, is to witness the internet like turning on this show in a really big way. I've seen a bunch of memes. Uh, I don't know why these delight me so much. Like, like we we have to say, both Patrick Klepek and I were on board for the show. We like the show, Mm -hmm. Um, but I can see a lot of people do not like the show. Yeah, 
I think for some legitimate reasons, and I've seen a lot of memes about the show, um, and what they do is they there's a funny bit of text on social media, and then um, uh, and then they'll play a, cl- a video clip of Donald Trump saying something. Mm-hmm. So uh, here is one post that I saw online. Somebody said, uh, you know, here's the post. It's like me. I hope True Detective Night Country starts improving this week. And then True Detective Night Country says this. I became worse. I became worse. <laughs> okay, here's another one. This is uh, Fitz SGN posted this. Me, after every episode of True Detective Night Country. We have to figure out what's going on. <laughs> There's something going on, and it's bad. There's a problem. There's something wrong. Something's going on. We've got to figure out what's going on. Bomb, 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 bomb. We have to find out what's going on. I called the mayor. I said, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> and it goes on for another, like, 30 seconds after. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I found this to be so funny, but... Uh, people, yeah, really don't seem to be liking the show. Now, there's a lot of defenders of the show, and a lot of critics love the show. Uh, here, episode part four is great because it's like if it was its own short film, I would say that's a really solid short film because it yeah. shows how freaking miserable everyone in NS Alaska is in their own way, right? Like everyone is having the worst Christmas ever. It just seems horrible and sad and brutal and patrick klepek i know you and i are both fans of that kind of material yes um uh it wallows it it wallows wallows. this this is one that wallows and and what's great about it is like the show has done a good job of setting up how different and specific each person's misery is right yes you know prior uh prior senior got catfished by a, a mail order bride brutal Brutal. Prior junior uh, is working for one of the worst assholes alive, uh, and also like having a co- talk with his wife about how she didn't want to get pregnant in the first place. Uh, Navarro's sister is offing herself in a very sad, lonely way. Uh, Navarro herself reacts poorly and gets beat, you know, the shit beat out of her, and uh, Danvers. Uh, <laughs> Gets gets drunk and then, you know, kind of gets criticized by the person who she's in a situationship with, her her boss who she's in a situationship with. Um, before they all go, off, Navarro and Danvers go off to the dredges and have a spooky confrontation with this guy who helped them map the original cave system, Otis. And uh, yeah, everyone's uh, everyone's Christmas really kind of sucks in their own way, and it's like, oh, love that, love that now. The problem with that, Patrick Klepek, is I feel like we're at the end of episode four. We're more, we're like two thirds of the way through the show, and we have come basically no closer to solving the central mystery of what happened here. In my opinion, uh, obviously, yeah, they found this guy, and you know, like he's probably going to have some more answers. But like, I totally understand anyone who is just completely has jumped off the train at this point because it's like. What is even going on? Like, why do we care about any stuff that's happening? The show is basically just vibes at this point. Now, you and I love the vibes, but like the mystery stuff, pretty iffy. What do you think, Patrick Levitt? 
Well, yes. I, I, I actually, one of the explicit notes I wrote down was vibes versus storytelling. Yes. Um, and I think this, I think this episode, especially, or just not even this episode, this episode in particular, I, I think it is just being four episodes into a series where you're being patient, trying to figure out where you align with the show, with the show's priorities. And I think for a not, uh, unsizable amount of people, like, the show is continuing on a track that I think it's been since the beginning, but others were wondering, is it going to change direction? Like, where is it going to go? Especially for a six episode series. It's not like it's that long. There's not that much time to waste and it's luxuriating. Like it's vibing with a place, with an atmosphere, with these characters, with a certain kind of sadness and a certain kind of darkness. And if none of that works for you, and if what you're here for is, there's symbols and like what happened at the, 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 the station. So I don't, it's not as though I don't think the show will have answers. Like whether those answers are satisfying is, is different. I do think, I do not think the show is going to end without providing an answer to what happened. I do not think you will get to the end of night country without an explanation for how we arrived here. Even if there is ambiguity left on, you know, the nature of like spirituality and like, like the history of a place. I think there'll be ambiguity there, but I think this will have a sort of concrete what happened and how we got from A to Z, but it's taking its sweet time to get there. And so I understand the frustration that said, I've been in media a very long time. There becomes a moment where it becomes profitable to just start bullying a show. And this show has now become a very popular punching bag. And it now is difficult to tell the difference between legitimate grievances mm-hmm. over the storytelling decisions in a show that are tied up in a now, you know, as we talked about Westworld, like there is nostalgia, nostalgia for the first season of True Detective that is separate from your actual appreciation of like the storytelling and what happened in that show because the natural passage of time. And I think that has gotten wound up in a media environment. And I've, I work in media. It's very difficult. You're looking for any reason to get people to click on stories. And the, Night Country has just become this strange punching bag that gets a lot of clicks, especially on on Twitter. Um, and I just, for some, to some degree, I cannot separate that it's become popular to hate this show from what are people actually upset about in the show and how much of it is a bandwagon effect where now it's just fun to make fun of the show. Um, and I think those are all intertwined with what is at the end of the day, I think you and I would agree with legitimate grievances about the storytelling absent knowing where it all ends up. I can understand people feeling a little strung out because there's just at the, if you were to add up what's yeah. happened over four right. episodes, it's not, it's not a lot. Yeah. I think uh, ironically, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, a show we just talked about uh, a show that we think would have benefited from a weekly release schedule uh, honestly, because it would have felt like more time has elapsed yeah. between some of these major relationship milestones. Yeah. This show, True Detective Night Country, probably a show that would not nearly be as criticized if they released them all at once. Now, I agree. that said, Patrick Klepek and I have not seen the final two episodes yet, uh, but a, a lot of the critics who have really praised the show. And right. so it's like, I assume they got to the end and thought it was worth praising and, and recommending. So, uh, but yeah, as is, it really does feel like they're stretching this thing out 
Um, which I don't think it would be the experience if you watched, like we could have watched all six episodes in one day and it would be like, oh, that was a great, interesting story, you know, like, uh, but, but right now it feels like where, where is this thing going? Where is this mystery going? So, uh, let's see anything to highlight specifically about this episode. I mean, I, I've already said, like, I just love how miserable everyone is and, and, uh, and the show does a good job of like establishing that milieu, um, but uh you know there's also like some nice tender moments um uh kavik you know navarro's quote-unquote boyfriend i guess mm-hmm. uh, you know like does like does a good job of comforting her after she's just had one of the roughest nights of her life by the way navarro cleans up super nice i have to say <laughs> like literally like bleeding has like a gash in her probably internal organs are ruptured like mm-hmm. shows up at danvers place with like a little like tiny like circles under her eyes you know like okay um, but uh, I thought that Danvers Navarro confrontation was appropriately awkward. Where Danvers is like, you know, we're all like, after we die, there's nothing, there's no one, we're all alone on this planet. And not knowing that Navarro's <laughs> sister has died right there, you know, like right the night before. Um, well, she's taken I, aback in a really, it's when she finds out that yeah. her sister is gone. I I took like Danvers goes into a very sensitive sort of motherly sort of role like the kind of softer side that we have really only seen when she's been around yes small children that's right and it, it's a moment where she is so taken aback by a piece of news that this icy wall that she has this facade that she puts up to deal with the entire world because she probably just needs to go to therapy um like immediately disappears and she just becomes a person in a way that we don't get much of a window to in, in the rest of the episode. I do think like some of that maybe like helps explain people's inability to connect with this show. You can't really like see yourself and you know what I mean? Like Danvers is, is a, is a, a deeply unlikable protagonist. Like, and there is just very few ways for you to sort of often a show, like even when they have sort of assholes at their center, they find ways to like see a certain side of them. It's like, okay. Well, like, I well see. typically they're really skilled. They're like yeah. Dr. House or Walter White or whatever. You, can, you know, yeah, they're, you they're, can admire them for other reasons. And, and, like, and, and, and what is clear is Danvers is a good detective. Like that is, yeah. that is clear. The problem is that there's just not that much detective work that has occurred on the <laughs> right. show. Right. Like that's right. the problem, I think. Um, but I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I think it's given us enough, like, you know, is she less likable than like Tony Soprano or, or Walter White? I, I I don't know, man. Like, I think it's like I agree. It's probably pretty close. It's probably pretty close. I agree. I, would say. Um, I agree. But yes, yeah, she is clearly an asshole. Like, she's she's meant to be an asshole. Um, making her like underling work on Christmas Eve terrible. I, I guess know? the diff- I guess the difference is um, with like Brian Cranston's performance or like, like there's a certain charismatic asshole. The Dan like Jodie Foster does not play here. I think like she's not like a like there's it's not a funny asshole. She just makes you feel bad, and like that's that's fine. Like it it, it again it works for me. I am into this character and Foster's yeah. performance, but I do think that part of that speaks to like as an audience member. Like, what's your way if you if you're desiring a way in? Like, yeah, I think there are fewer of those with her by choice. Um, and I think you start adding up all these other sort of understandable frustrations. If certain things aren't working for you that you arrive at this place. I mean, I'll even say someone that's enjoying the vibes, like 
I'm tired of seeing the fucking circles. Like, like, uh, like another thing with the circle. Okay, you know, I, I, even I'm tired of of the symbol mm-hmm. uh, at this point. But I may feel differently by the end. I, I am so with you on this being a show that should have done all at once or two at one. Like, I, right. I think it is really like its construction has it's it's fine for me, but I think for a lot of people and just how the, the way the story was constructed probably would have benefited from getting to the end faster so people can decide sooner like how they feel about it because instead now it's just like every week people are lining up to hate watch night country is like the vibe you get if you go on social media which is Mm -hmm. not like you know i I will say like uh i don't know i've seen the numbers for this week but this show has followed a model that hbo often sees with its shows and it's the reason they do the episode by episode drop which is like the numbers for the first episode kept going up and up and up as people got more interested in what was happening. And so, you know, how much of this is you and I being too online and it's like, we see these things and it, how, how representative is this of the average person watching night country? I don't know. Um, I'll say this about it, which is um, I don't see much discussion of it other than in that context. You know, like uh, with a with a show that has an extremely passionate fandom, you'd see like tons of conversation of which some small part of it is people like hating it. But like the majority of posts I see about it are about how bad it is. Um, so take take that for what you will. You know, like it, for it leads me to believe it's made perhaps more representative than um, than it would be for another show where I see similar criticism. You know. So anyway, all that said. You know, we end the episode with uh, Navarro having like a ruptured ear uh, of some kind, ruptured eardrum, perhaps. Uh, they're chasing after Otis, not Clark, who's the missing guy from the Salal research facility. We don't even know what happened there. So more spooky mysteries. And that's <laughs> where we end the episode. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, and I, I, I like I enjoyed the ten, the tense uh vibes of that entire final yeah sequence yeah. like it's all all that stuff and what i'll say at least for me you know i can't speak for everyone else watching the show but it seems like we're trending in the direction of more of that for the final two um yeah. I, I feel like we're about to get into uh a little more haunted house uh in in night country um and uh i'm i'm here for it patrick klepik where can people find more of your work on the internet this week uh, you can find me talking about video games, sports, things of that nature over at remapradio.com. Our flagship podcast is available wherever you get podcasts and uh, parenting and gaming. I have a newsletter about those topics called Crossplay over at crossplay.news. And you can find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts and at podcast.decodingtv.com. Find us across all platforms at Decoding TV. Become a paid member and support the podcast. Help to keep it going at decodingtv.com. And let us know what you think of the podcast at decodingtv at gmail.com. Next week, it's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Smith, episodes five through eight, and also True Detective Night Country, episode five. So tune in to hear how we thought uh, about how we thought Mr. and Mrs. Smith ended, and also whether True Detective Night Country actually solves the mystery. You know, typically you'd have like the mystery solution in episode, like the second to last episode, and then like the final episode's like a denouement, uh, you know, wrapping things up. I'm really curious whether it's going to go this way, but yeah, it it has been really disorienting witnessing the rapturous conversation Mm -hmm. 
around the show before it came out. Like all the critics had seen it. And they're like, this is incredible. You got to watch this. And then now that we're in it, um, seeing people not loving it, you know? So I, I'm curious if the show is going to uh, really deliver in its final two episodes. And I think it very well may, you know, I think it very well may wrap this up in a way that's very satisfying. So, all right. Until next week, he's Patrick Klepek. I'm David Chen. You're listening to Decoding TV. Goodbye.